Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. Remember back in the pre-pandemic days when you could go to a buffet? I remember when I was a kid, I used to love to go to these big steakhouse buffets that were popular in the late 80s, early 90s. The one we went to is called Bonanza in Fargo, North Dakota. You started with the salad bar, which had iceberg Next up was a round of some sort of pasta dish that was always lukewarm, along with fried chicken and a slice of pizza. Because yeah, that made sense, right? And don't forget the chef that was cutting off pieces of ham and prime, prime rib. So cool. Of course, all of this was a precursor to the steak and baked potato that you ordered before heading up to the buffet. And then cap it all off with, ice, with an ice cream sundae in that same little round bowl. I usually went with chocolate ice cream covered with hot fudge and about 27 Oreos worth of Oreo crumbs and sprinkles for just a touch of color. This experience, of course, gave way to the Pizza Hut buffet, which we all know and love from our childhood. Shout out to the Book It Club. Now we have all-you-can-eat buffets at casinos, your high-end buffets at corporate events and fundraisers, or even Chipotle and Qdoba, which are just scaled down more specific versions of a buffet or you can keep, keep slumming it at Golden Corral. My point is, as Americans, we absolutely love our buffets. We love to have choice. Why have one thing when you can have 50 things? So it is absolutely just boggles my mind that we tolerate a two-party political system. Imagine going back to Bonanza and your only two options were chopped up dry kale or liverwurst. Both are unpalatable at best. And mind you, I'm talking about our political system, not the kale. And to make matters worse, the options we seem to get to lead these parties are the equivalent of that piece of pizza that was clearly sneezed on, then dropped on the floor, and then stepped on and mashed into the carpet. And for the love, I can't understand why those restaurants would have carpeting in the first place. So tonight, we talk about our two-party system. We're going to talk about Trump. We're going to talk about populism and kind of where it intersects with Christianity. And let's be honest, I think we all understand that the most likely outcome of this conversation is going to be a highly antagonistic debate where I end up fairly agitated, making questionable corollaries and providing suspect facts. Welcome to Pint Glass Preachers. I don't know if that was as so much an introduction as like a veiled, grumpy old person rant about buffets. Like, well, do, you, do you like buffet? I mean, like, at the end of the day, are you a fan of Bonanza and the buffet situation or or just hold no, no, no. tons like, of nost- contempt nostal- for buffets? Nostalgically, I look back at it and, and, like, I loved them. But, like, now when you go to those things, you're like, this is not sanitary and this is pre-pandemic. And now I just can't imagine, like, going to a place where a bunch of people have been breathing over my food. Okay, quick, quick poll question then. Um, over the course of your life, just just an estimate. How many times have you actually eaten at a buffet? Oh, over the course of my life. Yeah, I'm talking because so if he's okay. if Tom is saying this is a nostalgic thing, I can tell you that I can count the times that I've eaten at a buffet on one hand. Listen, you never went you, to Pizza Hut buffet? No, bro. Yeah, oh well, you gosh. were confused on Book It. I couldn't believe that. Did I not have that? I've never your, heard of Book It. Your is that like let go or Bay offer area up? bougie nonsense? No, is that like I mean, a, a resell it you app? If you read four books or whatever the number was, you would go and you'd get a free personal pan pizza and a. Oh, and a, and a I didn't realize that was called Book It. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, man. My bad. Awesome, man. And I've eaten, I don't know, I probably eaten at a buffet like, 
I'd say three dozen times over the course of my life. Okay. I love a buffet. I'm not ashamed. I mean, they're not classy, but once the pandemic's over, count me in, dude. I, okay, I'm all actually, about it. wait. Let me completely rescind my indignation toward the buffet situation. If you count, like, the Asian buffet. Because mm. I will smash oh, yeah, on the Asian oh, buffet oh, all day right. long. All day long. A, didn't you and I go to an Indian buffet? Oh, and the Indian buffet? Anything, like, in the Eastern Hemisphere, all buffet all day yeah. long. But when yeah. it comes to, like collard greens fried chicken and like overly cooked roast beef i and mashed potatoes i don't want to mess with all that yeah all right fair okay, enough, we fair have, enough this is way too much time on yeah, yeah let's get into buffets, it so man. uh yeah, friends ridiculous. we're here uh we have a guest with us tonight we'll introduce him in a second but uh uh let's, let's be polite and do hosts first uh so uh gents <laughs> what are uh what are we drinking tonight uh tom we'll, we'll have you go first since josh is currently pouring <laughs> I don't think I ever talked about this, but for Christmas, my mom got me, Janet got me a glass that says PGP, Tom's Exquisite Drink. And uh, I know, right? It's it's etched into the glass. I'm very excited. Tonight is not an exquisite drink, though. I'm having a gin and tonic because it's nearing summertime. I'm very excited. And so gin and tonic it is. Wow. Awesome. Well, I am very, very pleased to announce that Tom, over these... 70 some odd episodes you have finally cracked this tough shell of mine and so over the weekend i made three different kinds of bitters four different simple syrups purchased eight different mixers and so tonight the only man left in this show tonight i am drinking kirkland anejo tequila just neat (laughs) Just, just neat. <laughs> just neat. I totally lied. I did none of that. It, but, yeah. but you, you Thank certainly goodness. did serve as the inspiration to convince my in-laws who just visited, where I am like 800 miles from the nearest Costco that sells liquor. So I cannot ever get the Kirkland gin. And you said the Kirkland Anejo tequila was some of the best you've ever had, and it's sippable. So they put one in their suitcase when they flew out to visit us, and I've been saving it just for this occasion. As a shout out to you, Tom, with all without all the pomp and circumstance and regalia. So, so what's the verdict? It's delicious. It's very smooth. You don't need a chaser. You don't need a mixer. You don't need a lime. You don't need belly shots. All you need is a little cup of delight. Oh my gosh, Tom actually knows what he's talking about when it comes to cocktails. No, because it's not a cocktail. But you do you also know what it what it's like when it comes to belly shots? Is that where should I talk to you about that? (laughs) Next time, next time we're going to get crazy, Tom. Gabe, what are you drinking? Uh, dude, that reminds me. We got to book our uh, our summer trip. Uh, at any rate, um, so similar to Tom, I have similarities to both of you. I am drinking in a uh, specialized monograph glass that someone got for me as a present uh, for doing their wedding. It was uh, my former uh, director of operations at ULC, Zach. Uh, in one of my sermons, I said, you're hustling pretty hard. And he saved that like uh, phrase. And during staff meetings, he would play it over and over again. And so when I did his wedding, he got it inscribed into a, uh, a drinking glass. Oh, fair enough. Uh, and so I'm drinking out of that. That's for, And it has a bird on it because I have tattoos and they're all birds. So uh, pretty nice at any rate. Uh, but the, the drink is uh, from Ironfish Distillery. Uh, it's gin. I'm just doing it straight up. So the gin and tonic like Tom, but just straight up like Josh. Uh, Iron Fish is a distillery based out of Thompsonville, Michigan, up north, uh, kind of uh, near the Leland Penis- Peninsula near uh, Traverse City. It's a, uh, a really pretty cool distillery up there. And uh, it's, it's 
really good. Uh, so I, I stand for Ironfish Distillery and was, was glad to pick this up. I picked it up today just for the occasion. Thanks for sponsoring us, Ironfish. Thanks, Ironfish. My address um, is 1090. You can send it whenever you want. Yeah, all right. Perfect. Uh, all right. Now, uh, without further ado, we, we have a guest with us today, and uh, I am going to tee up our conversation a little bit as well. So, uh, you know, of course, we at PGP, we try not to, to shy away from anything. And so in our last few episodes, we, we've talked politics, we've talked critical race theory, we've talked all, all sorts of things. Uh, and we have listeners from a, a wide variety across the political spectrum. Uh, and one of them is, is our guest for tonight who, who emailed me, said he enjoyed our conversation, uh, but wanted to, to give a, a sort of an apologetic uh, for being a Christian and a Trump supporter, which uh, you may be like, is that even possible? Uh, but uh, but uh, spoiler alert, it's it not. Um, yeah. Oh wait, no, no, <laughs> oh, wait. all right, all right, not yet, not yet. Wow. He hasn't even spoken wow. yet. Uh, too but, much to uh, handle. At any rate, because uh, you know Tom and Josh are, are leftist neo Marxist, and uh, mm. I at least try to bring some balance. But uh, you know, I lean a little bit left myself. Uh, we thought it'd be helpful to have uh, someone on here to to have a robust discussion that's uh, substantive on, on the nature of uh, politics and, and what it means for us to be Christians engaging in it and how different Christians can maybe see things differently and, and hopefully have a fruitful discussion that way. So we are privileged to have with us uh, David Baker. He is uh, a, a father of five. Uh, he's also a, a member of University of Lutheran Chapel, the greatest church in the history of the world. And uh, he is a uh, a consultant. He has his own consulting company that uh, works with uh, small and mid-sized businesses to help them with marketing uh, and does a lot of great work that way here in the fine city of Ann Arbor. Uh, and he is, uh, in his words, um, an accidental Trump defender. Is that correct? That's yeah. Correct. Okay. That's all right. It. All right. So David Baker, welcome to Pint Glass Preachers. Gentlemen, Gabe, yeah. <laughs> great to be here. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, it's an it's great to be here. <laughs> you guys it's so great to be here uh it's kind of an honor uh i've listened to your uh programs your episodes so uh what a delight it is to actually be here with you uh this is great so really exciting thanks david and by the way it's funny it's funny you say that gabe because uh i have in my mind thought of you as if you were driving because you said you kind of lean left so yeah I'm, i feel like i get permission to say this now yeah i feel like if you were at a golf course and you were driving it goes on the fairway but just hooks yeah. left a little so that's, uh, that's a actually probably one of, those, <laughs> one of the more accurate descriptions of, of gabe's political position yeah. that's that's really true that's not, uh, but david what, what are you drinking tonight that's the most important okay. question <clears throat> most important well i'll tell you what i was going to try to drink and what i am drinking what i was going to try to drink is a beer called Chinga Tupelo. And if you all remember that, it was from 2016. It's uh, it used to be called Trump Tower Brew, but they, <laughs> but Five Rabbit Brewery, when Trump ran for president, changed it to Chingo Tupelo, and it means blank your hair. <laughs> and I thought it was good. I, <laughs> I reached out to La Carnalita, and I actually bought some like a 12 pack and then they went out of business <laughs> so oh. the website's gone it's terrible no. uh actually the, the the woman brenda sent an email saying that she was having trouble so i said what's one thing we could pray for brenda at her failed business or you know some know. personal issues so anyway yeah so i couldn't do that right. i thought it'd be great because it represents the rancor and vitriol mm. toward our 45th president so ah. instead so instead <laughs> instead i am drinking uh oberon now yes uh, always a, always a nice choice 
You guys know Auburn. Okay. So oh, yeah. it's a local delicacy. Josh, I know you like local delicacies. Mm-hmm. You said that last episode. Mm-hmm. It's also, it's nice, but it's not like, you know, it's a little more, I don't know if it's like steel review. I've never, never drank steel review, but there's a little like n- nostalgia. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so a little nod there to Tom, but it's also interesting because Oberon in Midsummer Night's Dream was married to Titania. And Titania in my mind represents the media because Titania was uh, she had a potion from Puck and she fell in love with Bottom who had his head turned into a horse, you know, a donkey horse head. And she was just enamored by him. And I feel like that's currently what's happening in the media today. I wish I say media, I should say journalists because it's a little more specific. I think the art of journalism has really sort of gone by the wayside. And here's Titania when she finally wakes up, she says, my Oberon, what visions I have seen, methought I was enamored of an ass. <laughs> That could How be came these things to pass? Oh, mine eyes do loathe this visage now. Music, finally, Oberon's calls for music, and she says, ah, music, oh, music, such charmeth sleep. I feel like, Tom, you're out. You're out. David Baker's in for introductions every single episode because yes. that just outdid every single thing you've ever done right there. I mean, A Midsummer Night Dream connected to the beer, quoting the actual, uh, know. you know, words of the, like. You, With political undertones. I, I mean, know, you failed, Tom. Dream. You've absolutely failed us. I had, David, I had to bring it. PGP is up here. I knew I had to bring my game. Thank you, yeah, David. You're not, and you know, not wrong. you're hired. You're not wrong. And in the words of our 45th president before he was president, Tom, you're fired. <laughs> All right. Before I get fired here, we're be, and before we go into break, um, we want to just kind of have some re- acknowledgments out there before we get into a conversation that is that I like. I don't think how I don't see how it's not going to get a little contentious, but like we're going to have a good conversation, and I'm excited about it. Um, but we want to acknowledge a couple things, and the first things we want to acknowledge is I, I, I think for those of us on PGP. Uh, you know, that analogy of, of kind of on the fairway, but a little to the left, I think maybe Josh and I are more in the, in the rough on the left. Um, Man, I might be in the I've bunker, said out that. of bounds, like I'm on the wrong fairway in, in so many, so many respects. You know, I've said I've, I'm a Republican in a lot of things because, because there are certain things that I absolutely line up with on, on, from a Republican side of things. There are things that I line up with on, on, uh, on the democratic side of things. Uh, I think some of those democratic things are more in the forefront right now, but whatever. I think one of the things that I've always appreciated about political discussion is like, look, man, if you hate taxes and I want more taxes, that's a policy thing. And we like, that's something to be, to be vigorously debated in the forum, right? Um, whether we should be at war or not, whether we should be doing infrastructure or all those things, those are policy things. Um, but I think one of the things that makes this conversation more, more visceral is, is that a lot of the things that, that we're talking about in the last four years really hit on a personal level. And, uh, and so I think that's where it takes the rhetoric from from policy to to something bigger, and so and 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 also starts diving into the Christian things. So I want to acknowledge that, like, I'm totally okay with people being Republican. I hope David, you're okay with people being Democrat, right? And and Start and up with some softballs, yes, of course, right. <laughs> but like lining up on those, and so we can agree that it's it's okay to be on either side of the aisle on that. Um, we also want not okay to be a neo pinky commie Marxist. Uh, <laughs> where, where's the room for that people oh come on come on 
The, ah. the Overton window is not expanded that ah. far. Ah. Yeah, yeah. I think the other thing we we want to acknowledge is that um, I think we all believe that the media is biased, and and I really want to jump into that as our first topic coming out of break here. But um, we want to acknowledge that both sides of the media and journalists are biased, and that is a problem uh, today. And then the third thing is that none of us are experts. Uh, we are trying to gain our information um, just like you are. Um, we are hoping that you're not getting your information solely from you know that one friend on Facebook, but that you are looking at different media sources, listening to different authors, uh, reading different authors, listening to different podcasts, things like that. Um, and that's what we're doing. We are not experts. None of us are in the field of politics, but but we try to be as well read as possible on this. Um, we're going to try to stay away from contested issues today. And by that, we mean like things that have not come to um, a, a proven fact yet. So like the impeachment that is still kind of out there is like, did it happen? Did it not? Or things like that. Um, things that were said behind closed doors by anonymous sources, we're going to try to leave out of this you know, tax returns, things like that. We're going to try not to go down those rabbit holes. We're going to try to stay on, on, on task here. And so when we come back from break, we are going to dive into uh, the media and apparently it's unfair portrayal of Trump. So wait, Josh, push, real quick though. Yes. Break. Oh yeah. I have Before a real we do that, I got one break. thing I want to add. I, I do think it, it also should be noted, like, you know, in one sense, maybe like, is this conversation passe? Like why even bother? Like Trump's gone. Uh, he's kicked off Twitter, you know, whatever. Uh, but here's why I think this is not. I, I think in one sense, like he exposed a reality that that I think the Republican Party is grappling with in terms of what party are they going to be moving forward? And um, we're not going to solve that today. But like, is it going to be this more sort of populist rhetoric, that sort of thing? Or is it going to be more of like a sort of classical conservatism? Uh, and, and I think they're wrestling with that. And I think it's yet to be seen what is going to come of that. I think, you know, we look at like Josh Howley in Missouri and, and folks like that. So I, I think populism is certainly not dead. And I, and I think he opened that. And so I don't think this conversation is going away, even though, and, and who knows, Trump may run again too, right? So it's like, while he's passe at the moment, uh, the conversation that he ignited, I don't think is going away. And so I think that's why this conversation matters tonight. Okay, so three quick things. Three quick things to take us into break. One, I didn't realize that me and Donald Trump had something in common. We have both been kicked off of Twitter. So that's a fun fact. <laughs> Two, uh, so does this mean, Tom, that I am not allowed to quote extensively uh, QAnon sources during our conversation this evening? And three, um, there is something contentious that's going to come up that we just simply can't avoid, which is at which point the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, is impeached. Kylie Jenner is seeking to run for the open position and that is going to be a tough Wait, kylie battle. is or one of the jenners caitlin, is it kylie caitlin. it's caitlin, caitlin jenner oh caitlin oh, jenner Kylie's well like whatever 14. i don't know okay yeah they're, they're all <laughs> jenners all, to me josh that's a whole nother episode okay <laughs> they're all jenners to me and with that we send you to break go get a refill Welcome back, everybody. 
my sincerest apologies to Caitlyn Jenner. That is totally my fault. Uh, my bad. I hope you win if you run, I guess. Uh, I don't really care. Um, however, as we move into the first topic that we're going to jump into today, uh, specifically around bias and biases in, in journalism and in the media, um, I, I have a question that, to me, it, it may seem like an oversimplification of of really the, the chaos that has been created in a lot of ways, uh, particularly in the conversation around the media and journalists um, over the last, say, let's just say five to ten years. Um, but I, I think it's a fair one to to ask, and that is I've always been in some ways confounded by the claim of objectivity in journalism, right? Because when we look at almost every other field um, – Outside of let, let's forget the medical fields, all right, or or the science fields that are like you have a broken leg. Obviously, we don't want bias coming into that. However, I think that we value bias, and it, it insofar as it highlights differing perspectives um, of of a similar topic, right? Like Gabe and I, as pastors, would never say like we all the every theologian on earth needs to get on the same page of every single passage of scripture and every single dogmatic you know, thing. I mean, we probably would because no, I'd be down for that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, in some ways, but, but I think to be fair, like look at the history of the church that simply has never happened despite how hard it case. is tried. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so to me, arguments, uh, or getting too uptight around media or journalism bias is, is sort of a waste of time in my mind in some ways, because I'm like, Cool. I'd rather know your bias than pretend like we're all hiding under this 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 you know uh, veiled supreme you know reality of objectivity. When I'm like, I simply know that's not the case. And every journalist has an angle. Every news outlet has an angle that's working. And every news outlet and journalist has a base that they're trying to appease. So, uh, am I just being naive? Am I being idealistic? You know, should we just say let's take it and run with it with these with these biases that have been actually coming to the forefront? Or should we really be advocating for uh, a return, shall we say, to the wonderful objectivity that journalism yeah, once had we, in a bygone era? We, we should, because when we could look to the Walter Cronkites and Tom Brokaws and, you know, name your name, your media person there, um, you know, I do believe that they tried their hardest to to give you the news and that's it without what we see now in our in our in our news shows is it's opinion it's opinion based and so you have five talking heads that now talk about a thing and interject their own opinions that's what the op-ed used to be for if you wanted to throw out an opinion you would write a separate article about it while you could still objectively tell tell the news the xyz's of what was going on without without spin and now we don't have that anymore unless you are working very hard to find more what are hopefully unbiased news sources, which are precious few and far between. However, the only thing, and, and I'm going to back out of the car, because I know that David actually has a lot of things that he wants to say about this. Uh, as Tom, we know you always have a lot of things you want to say about everything. So I want to yeah. make sure I give you some space, Tom. Um, but my, but so like you bring up Cronkite and, and once again, I think we've, we've sort of glamorized, journalism in, in, in its objectivity. And yet I, and I do think this is pertinent to our conversation that the facts that they were working off of were indeed biased, right? The reporting that they're working off of was indeed tainted in a sense by the particular cultural milieu 
and what was wanting or desired to be presented to the American public. You know what I'm saying? And I think that that has been the case throughout at least American history. Um, and so I don't think that we've ever really had any true objectivity because the facts or the data that we're working with has been leveraged, manipulated, exploited, utilized, whatever term you want to use to 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 present a particular agenda, whether it's insidious, whether it's intentionally deceptive or whether it's intentionally trying to be genuine. No, I think that's recency bias, Josh, because I think you had a, a subset of journalists, all journalists really strove to tell the truth and nothing but the truth when they reported, even though it might get them put in harm's way. And, and that integrity of not giving up sources and not, you know, finding the truth, even though it didn't go towards the story that they wanted. No. So like, for, for example, let me give a specific example. And then, and, and if, if this is going to derail us, then I, I'm totally cool with this not actually discussing this. Like, I just recently read an article from um, uh, a dude, uh, I forget his name, McCarran or something like that, who got arrested with Nixon in the Watergate scandal. And basically, he he was being interviewed by a journalist in, in Harper's Magazine, uh, I believe either this year or within the last couple of years. And essentially, he's like, yeah, we knew exactly what we were doing with the narrative that we were presenting to the public through journalists and the media about the war on drugs. Oh, and by the way, we knew that it was complete BS and it served a specific agenda to criminalize certain populaces in the United States, criminalize certain drugs over others. Right. But so that's that's, not, that's what that's I'm the, saying. Is that's that, not the reporter, though. That's that's but the, the reporters, but the reporters to your what you just said, you said the reporters are trying to get to the truth and nothing but the truth. Yeah. How is it that that the reporters, by and large, were buying into the, the meta narrative, if I can say it that way? Uh, that that an administration in this case with Nixon was trying to present, despite the fact that there were actual facts and data that they could have produced to the contrary. And so that's that's why I'm saying I think if we're going to be truly like fair and balanced in a conversation about bias, we have to admit that there literally was never a time in our history where we truly so, had unbiased, totally objective journalism. Let, let me just do this and then we'll kick it to Dave and Tom because I, I don't want to skip derailed like I. So I think the point Josh is making here is like, and let, let me just put this philosophically, like I would argue philosophically, there's no such thing as being unbiased. Like, I, I just think as human beings, we do not have a God's eye view on anything. Like we are not inherently objective. Like that is just a fact. I think about reality. We like, we have subjectivity is our reality. Um, and yet the, 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 the distinction I think Tom's trying to make or whoever's trying to make is, is that like, there was a time in which at least the attempt of news media was to say, hey, this rocket ship launched into space, period. Right. That's okay. it. Yep. Just sure. like that, later. So, fair. yeah. Now, what they chose to report, how they chose to say it, you're right. There's inherent bias in that no matter what, because we're human beings and we're inherently subjective. But that that seems to like that veil is gone now, seems to be the reality that, that we're all living in. And and so people are just it seems the bias is more explicit now than it ever has been okay that's so fair. that's fair let me tee it up then to to tom and david to, to really get to the heart of maybe our things is like i i think there are those on the right and david if i'm mischaracterizing let me know uh but there are those on the right that would say listen trump was mischaracterized due to media bias by by larger forces in the media that, that intentionally sort of mischaracterized him and what he intended and, and whatever else of course. um and Tom, I guess I don't know what your response would be to that, but I think that to me is the heart of this discussion. So, David, 
Yeah, may I just offer a couple of thoughts? So um, the bias will probably come, yeah, in a number of ways, right? Some, I think, what, 90% or some are, are liberal or left in, in, in the media, right? I think it's kind of understood that the predominantly the viewpoint is, is that viewpoint. So you're going to naturally bring that in. Um, but some of it's intentional. And that's, I think that's probably what's so disturbing. I think, for example, do you remember when Trump went to uh, his first trip overseas, went to meet with uh, Prime Minister Abe in Japan, went to the Koi Gardens and he dumped out and he emptied out the, they were, they were feeding the carp and then it, it zoomed in on him and he like dumped it all in and all the, it, it was like, oh, what a clod, what a buffoon. He's, he's so embarrassing. And and only later do you realize that the prime minister had done it first, but it wasn't in the clip. And that mm. was like, to me, it's like, well, that's not just bias. That's just dishonesty. You know, mm -hmm. it's just, um, I guess maybe you can bracket that out as a separate thing. And maybe the, this idea that, um, you know, what used to be op-ed, when Tom's talking about, it used to be op-ed and reporting. I do think there was a discipline, right, in, in reporting. There was a certain structure. There was a, 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 a deliberate attempt to represent the other side. If I'm not mistaken, I think some voices are now saying, hey, when you're really right, you shouldn't represent the other side. That's actually being said now. And I think it was MSNBC. MSNBC. If you go to CNN.com, the, the, the headline, um, the top story is very often an analysis piece. It's not a news story. So um, at least they're, uh, they're keeping it as a category, but they're positioning it as a news story. So it's, it, I think it's all been blurred. And maybe, maybe Josh is right. Maybe it's just a new way to think about it and represent. I think maybe the problem is when someone tries to represent themselves as being objective, but they're really sort of... Well, and I think that, you know, Fox News for so long was like fair and balanced, and it, it clearly wasn't, you know, and they've kind of dropped that and and even to brand like Hannity and, and Laura Ingraham as opinion news shows, right. you know, um, things. And I mean, your, your, your point about about that is super fair, like with the with the Prime Minister Abe thing, like super fair. I remember CNN ran a ran an article on uh it was when Dick Cheney was at a funeral for somebody and he was wearing like a, a dark olive drab green trench coat kind of thing. And he had one of those uh, uh, like furry hat things because it was the dead of winter. Right? right. And the way he was standing and the way the, the picture was taken made it look really militaristic and really like Soviet era <laughs> militaristic. Right. right? <laughs> and like, even the wording of the article just was like, you know, Cheney, Cheney goes red or something like that. Right. And, and that was awful. Right. But like, it, it goes both ways with, with, with this unfair portrayal of things. Like one of my favorite things to do is to you see these mashups of how Fox news treated Obama when he, when yep. he was wanting to talk with North Korea Mm -hmm. And everyone was like, you cannot do sure. that. He's a dictator. Don't do that. And then sure. when Trump went to do it, they're like, he's a peacemaker. Yeah, everybody just switched sides and said the, the opposite arguments. I right. I, I just agree. saw one today with Melania Trump and Michelle Obama, how they were like, here's Michelle Obama wearing a $7,000 jacket. Like, is that really necessary? And then when <laughs> Melania Trump goes out and wears something just as equally expensive or more, they're like, why are we talking about her clothes? Like, that's yeah. not this. That's not what it was. I was like, whoa, like. That's it's not definitely. fair. Yeah. Like, and CNN does the same thing, right? But we do it too. I would say we do it too. The people we love, oh, yeah. we give a lot of grace, and we and we and the people we don't like. I was thinking, I think of you, Gabe. I imagine like if you uh, were watching a football game, football, hmm? 
American I mean, football? So- soccer. No, I'm soccer. trying to use your okay, language. Football, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Come on, Thank, game. Get with the program here, bud. <laughs> I'm trying you. to be uh, like, so uh, if you're if one of your players uh, flops, yeah, you might you might say you might acknowledge you might like say oh yeah yeah it's a flop yeah it really wasn't. But if the other team did it, you'd be you'd be out of your seat, right? Yeah, and yeah. So yeah. I think that's yeah. how we approach. David, you are opening up a really sore subject for the three of us. <laughs> that uh, is true. Why? <laughs> the, the text thread on flopping between the three of us is quite long. Uh, oh, let, let, let me correct it. God the text Dave. thread on flopping between Gabe and Tom is really long. And Marcus. And Marcus, and Marcus I'm as cool well. With, like actually, whatever. Yeah. I, I got no. I got no beef one way or the other with the flopping. So, so I think. I think what we're coming to here is that this this idea that media is is, is super bi- biased. Um, my my pushback on you, the like, I think one of the one of the deals with Trump, at least in my opinion, is first we've gotten to such a point in the last in the last five years with social media even ramping up even more and things like that. Like we're we're constantly at the pinnacle or like the leading edge of which is just really coloring and influencing how we consume media and things like that, right? So we, it is hyper-intensified. Yeah, look at LeBron James. He, he put out a tweet right away without even thinking about it, and then he had to put right. it down, right? And he apologized, right. but it's still, that's, that's the kind of culture we're in. We, we're sort of knee-jerk reaction, posting stuff, and it, and it travels around the world before we think about it. But, but I think one of the things that when I, whenever I hear that, like, oh, they treated Trump unfairly, it's the things coming out of his mouth that like when he says, hey, you can grab a woman by the and then to listen to Fox News try to tell me that that was not that big of a deal, that it's okay to have women on that show be like, it's locker talk, it's fine. But if I say that in my work, I am fired. He didn't say, he, he said, it. first of all, I'm not defending that at all. I'm not defending that comment. It was horrid. It's a terrible thing to say. It's misogynistic. I'm with you. Right. It was a private conversation. It wasn't a public. It's different from you saying at work, right? <clears throat> Granted, but like, I, like we're going to play this game a little later, but I can point to like a hundred other things that he said at, from the presidential podium that he said to other people. And yep. it, I'm with you. And, and bold-faced lies, lies, you know? Like it's the biggest crowd that's ever been in inauguration. And then you see like the 17 people that were there and you're like, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. it's not. Yeah. You know, so is that an unfair characterization of, of Trump? I don't think it is. Well, I don't think so. It is. Yeah. No, yeah. he's hyperbolic. I agree with you. So, like, Trump's bombastic nature, like, feeds into that narrative, too, at least yeah. in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And I would just say <laughs> our current president said that he uh, was on full scholarship and got degrees, and it was not true either. So I think politicians yeah. have, a, have a proclivity to uh, misrepresent what is it, John Kerry and the, who was it, the Vietnam, Vietnam, he was under a helicopter fight yep. and it wasn't true. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yep. So yeah, but I, I, you're not gonna get any contention from me on yeah. bombastic, bombastic words or his cruel things that he says about people. Yeah. So is there, it raises a question in my mind then, like listening to you guys talk and obviously having experienced the same period of history that we all have, like, really, should the question be, and I'm throwing this out there uh, legitimately, should the question be to return to a previous era of reporting, right? Or do we need to imagine a new future of reporting to which maybe we're like, hey, look, this isn't going to go anywhere. 
we're going to acknowledge the by um you know uh like like you guys said earlier that you know now at least something is being uh named as as opinion versus fact right um because like quite honestly i don't know if i see this going anywhere anytime soon and so to me it's going to be a heck of a lot more difficult to return to factual reporting in the sense that we've just described it versus saying is there a way to while not while not exploiting populism on either side in reporting is there a way to just at least communicate more clearly the facts that need to be communicated like hard data there's a tsunami that's going to hit the east coast of indonesia right something like that Hmm. and just be able to then train and equip people to be more discerning than when it's like oh i'm hearing this from this reporter they're probably just running their mouth i'm hearing this from this particular outlet about these types of situations i should probably take it for what it's for, for for them at their word and believe that you know the coronavirus is like an actual real disease so that that's the point right there so if you're if we're just doing facts like hey there's a ship in the suez canal that got turned sideways and it's causing problems that's just a fact that's out there that certainly impacts people, but like there's not a lot of spinning of that either way. Well, right? I mean, it's just a symptom of capitalist pigs, but I mean, but oh, like, you know. chill out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but where the what the the media is supposed to be one the fourth wall the the what or the fourth estate the watchdog of our three branches of government, right? They are supposed to be telling us what they are doing, what is true, what is false, and things like that. And we, we, we don't have that anymore. And the pandemic, I think, really exposes that of we, the public, are not getting the information that we need. When we have a doctor come out and says, this is a serious thing, put on a mask, and you have one side saying, yep, 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 this is the, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to the world. And the other side is saying, it's not that big of a deal, guys, drink some bleach and you'll be fine. You know, like, and then people spinning one way or the other. That's, didn't say drink bleach. He did not say drink bleach. We'll talk about that later. He did say inject, right? Um, uh, it, it, under different circumstances, and I can, I can, I got, I, I got sure. the text, so we can talk about it. But, but, like, but, like, the the Tom, point is, is that checked. you have you you have two very separate people or two groups of people saying something about something that has a significant impact on our on our society. Right? So can I? I think can I then maybe? I mean, like. I'm all for a conversation on media and it's role in our lives. And I, I think that's actually larger and distinct from what we want to cover. Like, I actually think, you know, Tom, you were driving towards saying like, okay, we can talk about the spin. We can talk about bias in media. I think actually the other interesting thing is to say, like, I think, you know, to, to David's earlier point, like mainstream media in general is majority left-leaning. Like you have Fox news, but then you have um, several other channels that are, are going to be more left-leaning, but then media on the internet is majority right-leaning. I mean, you know, Steven Crowder, Ben Shapiro, like those, those sort of dudes, like yep. millions and millions of people. Like, I mean, they have a That's further point. reach than you That's can a really imagine, good point. right? Yeah. Should we pause though, real quick, j- just for the sake of, of what we talked about and what we're going to talk about moving forward um, and maybe attempt to define, like when we say left, right? Because that, that, that can conjure a wide variety. Like when I'm saying, like the way you were describing it, Gabe, the first thing that came to my mind was just anti-Republican, right? Whereas like, I think the the left is a, is a wide swath in the same way that the right is a wide swath well, of folks. I, so, so like, when, how can we, I guess just like me, distill it down a little bit so that way we're yeah. not confusing people. Let's who do this let me just 30 do seconds this. and then let's move to like the next. Yeah, well, no, that, that's just, what I'm saying. Like, let's just Can I quick. clarify this real quick and yeah. then we'll take a break and then we'll move into the meat because I, I think that's what we need to do. So I, 
I, I guess, so I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I don't know that we necessarily want to debate media right now. Like, and I don't think we are debate. I think we're all kind of in somewhat the same page here. I think to me, the thing is to Tom's point of like, there's things Trump actually said, like it's not, no one's spinning it. There's things he said that are problematic. Uh, and especially for us as Christians to say, yeah, I'm going to support that guy who said that thing. That's, that's like, good. That's a good that topic. to me is the actual issue. That's a good topic. Um, and, and so I think we want to get there. So to Josh's question, okay, when we say left, okay, I, I think I would say like, you, I mean, so like there's leftists, like like Josh, this pink Okami, but but then there's like, he's he's not really that, by the way, folks, we're just kidding, but um, mostly, but, um, but, <laughs> but, but I think we mean, we mean liberal, like we mean democratic leaning, that they're, they're really going to portray democratic policies, democratic politicians favorably, and try to disparage Republican policies and conservative uh, people disparagingly. And then right-leaning media is the converse of that. Okay. So that's cool. me when I say left, that's what I mean. And Beautiful. I think that, can we all agree on those terms? Yeah. I would just make a distinction between liberal and progressive. We don't have to talk about that, but liberal, that is classical liberalism would be for free speech. Uh, progressives would say, shut, shut, all, shut bad speech down. That's a distinction, yeah. I think. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I think when we come back from break, friends, we're going to get into like, all right, it's not all right. So media spin is a problem. That's maybe a problem we solve on another podcast. This is going to be to say, hey, this guy who's the 45th president of the United States said these things. And I, for me, I, I'll speak like, I think a lot of them, not a lot, some of them are problematic for us as Christians. And uh, it's it's hard to wrap my head around supporting someone who said these things. Uh, so we'll get back to that uh, right after this break. All right, friends, uh, we are back. And, and this may be a show that has a bit more breaks than usual um, as we're, we're shifting from topic to topic in this uh, important dialogue here. Uh, but now we really kind of want to focus in on saying like, all right, it, it's like, yeah, media spin is a problem, a bigger problem than we're going to cover uh, in this episode. Uh, but what about the things that Trump actually says? Like, like how, do, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with, with those sort of things uh, as, as Christians? And so... Um, Tom, I'm, I'm sure you probably have some sort of arsenal of, of things that are concerning to you. So why don't we let you start it off? And of course, we want to let David respond to that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I mean, I've got a whole list of things that we can, we, we can talk about of things that he said or, um, you know, and of course, the media runs with things and, and to our point earlier, cuts things or, or portrays them in a different light. But there's things that are just said and then journalists will call him out on it. And and we would get like, well, no, I never said that. And then they would replay the <laughs> recorder and yep sure enough he said it um and you know so like but some of the things that he say are really problematic for us as christians because um i totally get wanting to support a republican candidate based on pro-life values or because i'm fiscally responsive responsible and want to be conservative or fiscally conservative or i would you know like that um, the problem I have is that when when people that I know who would have just ripped Obama apart if he had said those same things, who ripped Clinton apart for those same things, 
now are, are, are I, like I've had these conversations with people that I know and love and, and they're trying to contort themselves into a way of somehow that the Trump is still a good Christian, still seeing no, no, uh, no evidence of that, you know, and, and want to portray this guy as like the, the, the bastion of, of Christian values and things like that when he's just not. Well, can and I so, offer, I want to offer a term that I've coined. I'm very proud of it. I call it moral gerrymandering. The idea that there's two scenarios. You have one scenario here with Clinton, another scenario with Trump, and you sort of find some contour, some distinction of difference to separate them out to say, well, one isn't like the other. So one is bad and one is good. So no, no, I, I'm I love proud that. of that one. I love that. I love oh, that. yes. It, it, and it, it happens. Yes, we do that. That's true. Yeah. And, and I think to that point, too, that we also like, try to cut out the, you know, in our gerrymandering, like, I'm just going to forget that he said that about a woman, you know, or that other thing that he said about a woman, or man, I'm Republican because Republicans mainly line up for like pro-military things, but yeah. he just said that POWs were losers. And so, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to ignore so that. McCain was a loser. Yeah. But not huh? POWs. He said McCain was a loser. Yeah. Well, in context of talking about POWs, yeah, of I mean, yeah. Right. But then remember when Obama did a half salute, you know, coming off the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. helicopter right. and mm -hmm. almost the entire military like <laughs> walked away. Right. Yeah. It's, it's inconsistent. It's not. It's right. right. So that's it. So tell me more, David. Like, well, I think what you're getting at, to be honest, I think it's like, what is a disqualifying event? Right. What disqualifies someone from being supported? Right. Uh, <clears throat> if you say when you come to a uh, knife fight, we bring a gun. Is that disqualifying? Obama said that. Does that disqualify him? I don't think so. You know, no. Um, uh, Joe Biden says if you if you try to decide who to vote for, and then you ain't black, is that disqualifying? Yeah, uh, I don't think so. So I think the the question is really like to what to what what things are just so bad that you just can't support that candidate. And if we want to use the buffet example, I think someone like me approaches it like a buffet. Like I I got a buffet. And there's some ugly kale there. I'm not touching that, and I don't like it. Mm -hmm. but some really, there's really good stuff over here. So I can say I like the buffet because there's some good stuff over here that I'm willing to ignore the kale. And it's better than that other buffet over there. Right. I, I think for me, it's just bothersome that, that, that individuals who would have ripped somebody apart for the other thing are choosing to ignore it. You know, I've yet to hear, I have yet to hear a Republican say, you know what? I really stand for Republican values and I voted for Trump because he would uphold my Republican values and get the Supreme Court justices that I wanted. But good gosh, this guy is a reprehensible human being. Dude, that's, my, that's, that. my, that's my- I support right? Trump, I'm a Republican and he stores some great values such as the justices, but my gosh, he has done some rep reprehensible things. Yeah, I mean, that's like- first that's, person, Like literally the first person I've ever heard. Oh, Dude, there you go. Yeah, I mean, that's my <laughs> that's my parents. Mike, my, my, my parents are Republicans tried and true. And for some of the exact same reasons you just said, David, like they voted for Trump. And after a couple of years in office, like I would have conversations with them after some of these reprehensible either words or actions, right? And they'd be like, wow, th this isn't what we voted for. This isn't what we signed up for, right? For them, oh, sorry, mom and dad, I'm outing you. Uh, they did not vote for him. 
in 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 his reelection campaign mm-hmm. <laughs> because of the reprehensibility of of his personality, right? And so like to mm-hmm. to one degree, I think that's the type of people and perhaps I mean I see you nodding David like that resonates with you that there were no, I understand that, it. I understand yeah, right, it, yeah. right. That there were folks who were like, look, I'm Republican, I and I and I uphold and I vote for the values that that this individual should be representing, right? As a Republican official or or elected Republican, you know, president, <clears throat> senator, congressman, mm-hmm. whatever you want to, you know, list off. Um, and yet they've crossed that moral line or they've crossed that ethical line or they've crossed that behavioral line. And so to me, that's really the heart of the question. Isn't whether or not um you know, like we're, we're flip-flopping or people are being disingenuous on their, you know, on what they want to harp on, what they want to, you know, celebrate. But more is like, to what end are we willing to support a political candidate, political office, political party um, when it comes to our Christianity and our Christian faith? You know, <clears throat> what, what are the, because we, we all make, we, we, I mean, we all make concessions regardless yep. of the political party because we're forced to because of the two-party system right we all make concessions and so the question is um what concessions would be considered uh violations of our yep. faith and what concessions would be a, a sort of like within an appropriate spectrum of and, of, of allowable uh, items think, you know and if i may say let's just get right at it i think that as conservatives who see pro-life christians who vote for biden we think that that is exactly what happened. I think if you, I don't know where you all stand on this. Like if you stand against abortion before it, I don't know. But We're all against it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, you're voting for a guy who is for it and you're overlooking it for his, because other policies trump it, so to speak. So I, <laughs> well played. So, well right? played. Yes. Very nice. So, uh, I mean, that's a real, that's a real trade-off. Right. And I and us, those of us who see you say you see Trump saying these reprehensible things, we see Biden standing for repre- standing for reprehensible things and don't understand why people still stand behind him. Right. So, so, so that's to me, that's really the question. Right. Because we can I think we can all agree, the four of us, at least, that um, aborting fetuses is not in our in our estimation, uh, a, a, a viable Christian option. Right. And yet, the Bible talks more about welcoming immigrants than it does about unborn fetuses. Okay. Right? So for someone like me, the reprehensibility of behavior towards immigrants and that kind of thing is is on par from a biblical perspective to to the right to life, right, for, for these unborn children. <clears throat> and yet, though that example right there would pit us on basically diametrically and opposed ends of the spectrum when it comes to the political candidates that we have at our disposal, at least between mm-hmm. Biden and Trump, right? So and so like, if to you me, took these positions, you wouldn't have anybody to vote for, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right so, so like for me, what I struggle with is if I say, well, I'm going to vote for Biden because I think it does this, this, and this. And yeah, the the concession is okay. There are going to be there's going to be more discussion on the board, even though uh, Roe v. Wade did more damage to unborn children than it helped um, yep. from from a legal perspective. And anyway, um, there's, there's yeah yeah. So so like I, I would say that that's there that I think we need to acknowledge as a skeleton in our Christian co- closet that we that we haven't really discussed uh, at any point since Roe v. Wade happened. But I would say then like. But that's that's the pitting, right? So then immediately, because I don't fall in line with that stereotypical traditional like Christian 
line in the sand that all of a sudden, like I've forsaken unborn children and -hmm. I think they all should be aborted. Right. Which is like, no. Um, yet at the same time, we need, I think we need to expand our vocabulary from a, within the left-hand kingdom political realm, when it comes to our, our Christianity and the pages of the scriptures that we claim to, to believe is the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God. I was just say that, uh, when the, the the line has moved way over to roundly accepting abortion up to birth, and that's just a, a conservatives like me see that as reprehensible, sure. and that's right. Uh, yeah. No. yeah, that's fair. And, and I, none of us disagree on that. But I, where where I come into Josh, you just talked about like a kind of expanding that view, and and why like I can get on board with with voting for someone like Biden is because I've been having this discussion with, with people around the pro-life, pro-choice issue and trying to expand this thing. Because when we talk about pro-life and pro-choice, we're really talking about pro-birth. That's all we're really doing because the right the right side definitely wants to be pro-life, right? But then they vote every time to stop funding children's health insurance, the ch- children's health insurance program. They cut funding to the temporary assistance to needy families. They constantly want to cut SNAP, which is food program, by 30% or more. They have no interest in fixing health care to help those people. That's not true. They vote that way, but they don't see government as the only viable solution to those problems, I think. Yes, what, and, and actually... Not, but I mean, what is I'm, the other viable solution? Well, well see, th- I think this this actually... And, and I'd like to hear both your thoughts on this, because to me, this is... You brought this up, Tom, at the beginning of the episode, um, and, and I'm genuinely interested to see where you guys land, because... Those to me, th- those are policy things, right? And we were like, well, we got to agree that like, you know, policy is like different from this, <laughs> but clearly policy is at the heart of this because it is, it is, it is tied inextricably well, to our particular biases <laughs> and where we're coming from. And uh, it's why as, we're willing to overlook something because we believe so strongly in those policies. R- right. Let me, let me ask this. Let me ask this. Cause I, I here's the thing like, well, uh, well, I'm gonna do it. Like one, the lowest abortion rates we ever had in this country were while Obama was president. Correlation is not causation. That's exactly right. You're right. But my point is your vote for president does not save or kill unborn children. Like it, it just doesn't. <laughs> Secondly, I'm not sure that Trump did anything to mitigate abortion. And so to me, it ends up being a talking point to sell to evangelicals. So they support him. Thirdly, uh, it, percent of people as they vote in the election, the number one reason they voted the way they did was economy. Number two, healthcare. Number three, Supreme Court appointees. Number four, coronavirus. Number five, violent crime. Number six, foreign policy. Number seven, gun policy. Number eight, race and ethnic inequality. Number nine, immigration. Number 10, economic inequality. Number 11, climate change. Number 12, only 40% of people vote in accordance with abortion. So so to me, I it- What source is that, Gabe? What biased uh, news feed article did you get that from? <laughs> That's uh, based on register. I, I can't tell who- uh, it is, but at any rate, it's it's a screenshot that I took when this happened. So, so to me, but like, let me, I guess what I want to say is this: like, let's let's pretend that that both candidates were pro-life, be, because it almost ends up being a non-issue in my opinion. Um, and we can discuss that. I mean, abortion is an issue. I just don't think they do anything about it either one. Um, and so, so if we pretend that both are pro-life or neither are pro-life, whatever. Let's say they're the same page there. In what sense does Trump fit Christian values at all? Well, uh, yeah, I, I get, I think it's a good question. I think though the, the larger question in my mind 
that that I think is in that exact same vein. Um, and if I may bring this into the talk, right? We just had the uh, like everyone's losing their mind about the Equality Act, right? And and transgender rights and all that kind of stuff, right? So the question that it raises in my mind is like, this is. Uh, I, I'm going to get in so much trouble for even saying this, even though I don't necessarily believe it. But like, we've tied our Christian identity to various political agendas under the guise of biblical fidelity. Right? So what I mean by that is, we've now pledged allegiance to a particular political party under the guise of saying we are being biblically faithful Right. But then what we're doing is I think it's an overexertion or an overreach of of our call as disciples in the world and our witness as the church, because essentially what we're talking about is co-opting the government to create a theocracy that falls in line with our ideas and our biases of what religious purity looks like. And I don't think that that's the place of the church necessarily. I can uh, speak for some in my camp that I don't think that that represents our view or my view. Um, I, I don't think we look to uh, that one party or Trump, let's say, is the you know a theocracy or or the the golden you know solution. I think we're much more pragmatic, to be honest. I think it's he's just an executive in charge of the country and uh, a, a broken, fallen being, <laughs> um, and. Um, He's got a mix of things that he stands for um, that we support. I think uh, stronger military, you know, uh, lower taxes, um, pro-life. You know, maybe not, I don't know if he's done a whole lot there. And that's um, like a big he, deal, but, though, but, right? Oh, that's a huge well, deal. Okay, he should do more. He's going to do a lot more than, than Biden, who, who, who Planned Parenthood is very excited about. So, I mean, <clears throat> if, if it if it's if it's a thought, if that, it goes one way, that would be my that would be my argument. Is if you want to talk about pro-life, like life that I believe that the programs that he's doing will have more of an impact on life on... overall. I mean, yeah, I think, so, I think the, military is, the military is a really interesting, you know, and maybe we, maybe that is part of this discussion, right? The military is, is a really interesting aspect to this because I think in, in one side, the military is seen as the protector of democracy, like keeping the peace, you know, like we're, we're, we're global peacemakers. Um, in a way that's, that's how America has, has always we're, seen we're itself. Not, well, I'm just saying like in, Historically, America has seen itself as wanting to sow the seeds of democracy and also to help maintain global peace, right? And and yet that has resulted in conflict and militarization, which has then actually taken life, right? And so once again, we, we run into I, – I think what I'm trying to say is we, we – we, it can only go so far in our in our, in our our reasoning and our argumentation until we eventually hit a wall or a speed bump where we're like, oh, wait, that's sort of contradictory – or potentially even undermining of our of the position that we initially laid out. As, well, as you're speaking forward. very, very Trumpian, to be honest, because he's the only president who hasn't started a new war and has actually been pulling back troops. So he's he's actually not the t typical um, candidate that conservatives like. Conservatives like that all that um, military presence, which is why I think he twists in the wind just a little bit. So <clears throat> he's actually he was actually committing to to withdraw troops a while ago. Josh the Trump. But, but so was Obama. Yeah, that that's the first time it. that's ever happened. <laughs> Thank you, David Baker. You know what? I feel a sense of redemption, people. Okay. I am now going to be known as the Trumpian, not the Neo Pinky Marxist commie. Thank you, David Baker. I owe you a beer. <laughs> why don't we why don't we go to a break? 
Um, we're going to come back with the next segment and we'll see where that takes us. Awesome. Awesome. Just, I was going to say, what a terrible, no, just, what a terrible outro know. like tease. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't know. How about this? We're going to talk about any one of these things, voting access, racist statements that we think Trump has made or Biden has made, or how Trump's been unpresidential, or how about we dive into like, I don't know, QAnon. One of those issues. We'll be back in a minute. <laughs> well done. Well Great. done, Tom. Much better. Much better. Uh, hey, everyone. Welcome back. And uh, we are st still here with our good friend, David Baker, appreciating his comments. Uh, we do really want to get into uh, sort of the, the heart of why we've asked David to join us uh, on this episode. And so, David, if, if you don't mind, and, and I know this is hard, and you know, we've already talked about how like there's never a perfect president. There's no one that like we as Christians can be like, they get 100% my stamp of approval. Uh, but George Bush, I, I, pretty close. what's that? George Bush came pretty close. Which one, senior or W? W. Okay, eh, we'll ignore that. And uh, although, but never mind. That's another conversation for another time. Um, but uh, but David, if you can explain to us, because like I, I genuinely am actually a little bit confused by this. Like like how, in in you know your circle of people and even yourself, how do you as a Christian? Uh, I'm trying to think of a less pejorative way to put this, but justify voting for Donald Trump. In the same way uh, Christians who justify voting for Biden do, they, they they like things that overrule the other things that they don't like. So it's like, I think the analogy I think of is like, if you're at a burning fire and the fire firefighter shows up and he's ready to take you out of the building, you're going to pull out your phone and check his Facebook feed first and you find out that he's like, you know, let's say white supremacist, would you say, sorry, I'm not doing it. <clears throat> I'm, first of all, I'm not saying that, that Trump is. I'm just saying that the pragmatics um, say, well, there's a lot to not like, but there's a lot to like. The things that we do like, here's an example. Um, he did a lot for the black community. The First Step Act, if you if you all know Van Jones, right? Do you all know Van Jones? He's a commentator on CNN and avidly anti-Trump. Yeah. But in that act, he God bless him. He's like, well, you know, I have to admit, you know, this is this is what the Democrats should be doing, and he's doing it, you know. And uh, you know, Joe Biden, who in the 1994 crime bill was the one that really pushed a lot of this forward. In fact, he said, "This is mine." He claimed it. Trump is the actual one that pulled it back. I mean, how about that for you know, a twist? And then the opportunity zones and some other things. So he's done quite a bit, funding um, the, the historically black colleges for 10 years, rather than having to come back every year to come back. So. Um, <clears throat> We, we like that a lot. I just, you know, he's done a lot of, he's a man of action. So, uh, and Claude in, in the way he talks about things and a horde in some other areas. Um, the second thing I'd say we like the wall. I mean, it's gotten to be such a grotesque description of what's happening. But I think if you think of immigration, the idea is, look, we have uh, immigration reform that needs to happen. And some would argue we need to let more people in. I would be actually one of those people, but we got to do it right. We have ports of entry and having um, 
large groups come over illegally. It's it's dangerous. We have kids in cages now. They talk about Tom how we switched. Yeah, <laughs> got criticized for that. And now yeah. he's got four yeah. times as much. Oh, it's okay. Fair. So I, I'm yeah. not, we're guilty. Both are guilty of that. But uh, a stop stop the illegal immigration. B improve uh, immigration through ports of entry and asylum. So. Um, so uh, Christians who, like me, that's what we appreciate. Appreciate economic policy. I think that the tax bill, which um, <clears throat> on, on the one hand don't like because he's run up debt. So that's, that's, a, that's a strike, big strike. But the idea of lowering corporate rates so that money would repatriate, I think it was at 1.5 billion came back to the United States because of that. So uh, from an economic policy, I like that. And then of course the Supreme Court justice. 1.5 billion with a B? Uh, yeah, and I could get the sources on that. Uh, um, <clears throat> actually, I don't know how much it is. No, we trust honest. you. That's fine. Yeah. Maybe that's not that much, but um, but even if, how, if it isn't a lot, it's still in principle. Yeah. And then uh, in terms of justices, uh, 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 originalist view of the Constitution is, is very important for someone like me. Um, so instead of a living Constitution, which has a lot of problems, uh, because it, it whatever whatever wins of the day can really um, you can read into rights that were never really intended to be there. Um, and so that was a big, uh, and, and now that uh, President Biden is there, I think you're seeing a lot of discussion about, uh, you know, a new uh, a statehood for Washington. You're talking about uh, additional Supreme Court justices. So all the things that, all the things that we didn't want and why we wanted to support Trump are, are coming into fruition. Hmm. So, let me ask a couple questions about that, because yeah. things like, say, I, I think immigration is an important conversation, and I, I think you're right. There's a way in which we want to do that correctly. Uh, so well, let me just do a couple counterpoints. So I think there's a way we want to do that correctly. I think that's a shared conviction, hopefully by many Americans, uh, that we want to welcome more immigrants, but we want to do it in a way that actually welcomes them and, and isn't problematic. I, I think his language around that, though, was intentionally problematic. Yeah, really, yeah, really yeah. bad. I, I just, I, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, okay, so, so that would be one. Two would be like, okay, you know, economic policy, you know, and again, that would go to Tom's earlier point where it's like, you know, different people can read policies differently. And, and so I understand fiscal conservatives saying like, no, we appreciate how he's doing that. And that's fine. I think that's a place, but I'm not sure that's an inherently Christian value, right? Let's say it's maybe right. a pragmatist value and that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, but, but it's not inherently Christian. So it's a free market. Right. Leaning view. Yeah. Right. Which is, you know, fine if, if that's your deal. And in fact, that, that's one of those places where I end up a little bit more on the right side of the aisle. So like, I get that. Um, the, the, um, oh shoot. Now I forgot it. The living constitution oh, versus. Oh yeah. That, that would art. be the other thing to me is though, is to say like, I don't know that having an originalist view is necessarily a Christian value either. Like, I don't think well, it is. Well, there's like, some really problematic language if if we're going to say originalist because there was some very, I mean, very white supremacist language uh, in the original in the Constitution. Constitution. And so I think that that's to me where the, where the, in, where the intent to keep it original. And I, I hear what you're saying, David, with like, yeah, we can't just like reimagine, reinterpret every single administration that comes in, right? Because then it's, what does it mean? at all but at the same time like it was built on certain predications and certain premises that were inherently inequitable and disadvantageous and oppressive so how do we then balance trying to say okay here are maybe some some pitfalls or some missteps 
that the that the the authors of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights made, um, and we need to rectify and change versus, well, I'm just going to leverage, you know, an interpretation of the Constitution or Bill of Rights for my own personal political gain? Well, that's a good question, but we have three branches, right? So we have a constitution. You can change the constitution. You can amend it. There's a process for that. So there's uh, there's executive, there's uh, judicial, and there's a legislative. And the legislative body is the one responsible for managing that. And, and, the, and then the judicial is responsible for using that as a benchmark against to measure cases. What do you think? So I guess to me, one of my struggles with is like, because I, I don't like, again, I frankly, when it comes to politics, I, I'm in many ways... <laughs> Well, not in many ways. In some ways, I'm a pragmatist. And, and so I'm just like, okay, if conservative policies work, let's do those. Like, that's fine. But I, I still, as I think about how that relates to my faith, mm. I think one of the biggest struggles for Christians is to say, okay, let's say, you know, David, you just politically inclined in terms of political philosophy, you're a conservative. Mm. Cool. Mm. That, that seems like it can fit within the Christian framework. That's fine. But it so happens at this time that your political philosophy lines up with a guy who has said and done, uh, well, yeah, has said and done things that are antithetical to Christianity and that your endorsement of him then puts a black eye on the kingdom of God and the church at large. Like, how do you, how do you reconcile that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, uh, I, I think you have to sort of, there's got two, you got a couple of horses back to Tom's point. Like I mean, his preference would be a lot more horses. We have two horses, you have A and B, which one's the one that you want to ride? Um, okay. And yeah. and I think that I think the um, the optics is, are a problem, but I think generally conservatives are are ready to uh, make choices that uh, that may not look, I may not have the best optics. Do you so think we even can if it get to the point, sacrifices the kingdom of God for the sake of conservative. Well, principles? I wouldn't say sacrificing the kingdom of God. I mean, that's a little steep. I think. I mean, uh, wouldn't you could say the same thing if you had Biden? I mean, Biden said some nasty things. You know, are you sacrificing the kingdom of God for, for, for voting for him? I, I mean, in someone, in one sense, we probably are, right? I mean, to our point earlier, that it's like just sacrificing no more with with Trump than you are Biden. So Biden's, that would be my argument. Biden's two doves, and uh, and uh, and uh, Trump yeah. is a uh, you know an ox. Well, and I think that you know that to me, this reaches back into when when we think about like things that that Christ has said, and then I match it up with policy, and and this is where we could we we'll, we'll just go back and rehash things, you know. But when when God says takes when Jesus says takes care of the poor. But let's vote against SNAP. That I guess that doesn't that doesn't compete with me. But I think Tom, I think the the key difference there is yeah, there's a lot of great nonprofits, a lot of churches that are doing great good. A lot of people, the philanthropic giving is huge, is is quite big in the well, United States, and so, that's that we are taking care of the poor. I don't think it's necessarily the mechanism has to be the state. And I think that's where we might disagree. So David, that's where I I, I am going to flex some expertise and coming from the nonprofit world. <laughs> coming from the nonprofit world, coming from from an organization called Second Harvest, which is the second largest food bank in the country, mm. and you know, keeping my ear to the ground on this stuff. Um, typically speaking, people give between one and two percent philanthropically. That's mm. the average for Americans is one to two percent. Yeah. What? I, I think it sounds consistent. I think it was Joe, that's what Joe Biden. Did. Right. Yeah. So whenever I hear an argument that like people will that that people are inherently good and will take care of the poor, that that just doesn't that doesn't happen. Hmm. Two, we'll when sure. we look at the percentages of money that do go to organizations that actually take care of the poor, it is a fraction. So, for instance, of seven seven figure gifts that were given to the to organizations in the state of Minnesota over the last ten years, okay, so million dollar gifts and above given to organizations, only one percent went to social services. 
They all went to big educational buildings. So they, we got some really pretty libraries and we have some really great wings at the Mayo Clinic. We also have some amazing museums. Now, yes, you can say that healthcare is great, except for that, that, that new wing that costs $50 million uh, only hosts executives and foreign world leaders. So like five people at any given time. And that museum isn't helping any poor people and neither is that library at the U of M. And so all this money and those percentages kind of stay the same when you kind of come down into, into smaller gifts, we don't take care of the poor. Well, and so that's why I say, nope, that, that's not. When, I, when, when, I, when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, and more often than not, it's Republicans who are wanting to go to war with somebody. I mean, Trump. Good, yeah, yeah, Trump. Fair but point. Like, not Trump. But Obama too. Obama was trying to get to to scale down. He did massively. But like, I and, and we criticize him for it. But conservatives criticize him for it. I, right. I, I agree. Yeah. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. Al Qaeda killed three thousand people on nine eleven. That was horrific. Right. Conservative estimates put it at one hundred seventy five thousand Afghanis have now died. Many of them civilian. Most of them civilians. Right. Can we call it even at this point? Like. Like, have we turned the other cheek yet? Like, let's get out, man. Like, we're not doing things that are that are consistent with our Christian values. Well, y yes, agreed. But also to add another layer of nuance to this, there's infighting within how we determine what is uh, dutifully acting within the the Christian framework, right? Because so as someone in and <clears throat> you guys hear me harp on this all the time, like I'm a much more firm believer in in grassroots organizing, right? So like we as an entity, we serve the poor. We do not do any direct services, but we try to organize the poor to address inequity and to fix unjust systems or broken systems, right? And yet, the, as as a as a well i know you guys know i'm in the bunker okay gabe is like sort of in the rough i'm like on a different course most times but as a what i would like to believe a solid lutheran theologian and pastor even we are criticized for our work in aiding assisting serving the poor because it doesn't fit within the neat and normal boxes of what that looks like uh, which tends to mean direct services food, clothing, shelter. And so I think that it, it wh while I would be the first one to love to just like totally reduce this to like generalized boxes, I think we have to recognize and realize that even within the Christian community, this is a much more nuanced and difficult conversation because what I consider uh, serving the poor is not necessarily what you guys just defined as serving the poor. Yeah, You know what I'm yeah. saying? And so to me, that's where I'd really like to kind of ask the question, I know we, I think we would all, based on what I've heard tonight, I think we would all like to get and move beyond a two-party system. Do you guys think that's possible? And, and what would it take to get to that point to at least have more options so that we're not being forced into, as Christians, into, I'm going to make these concessions with this political party and it's going to be kind of generational or, you know, with the, with the other, oh. with the other political party as well. But to say, is there a way to be a responsible Christian acting within the left-hand kingdom, the political arena? to uh, be a faithful witness to God's kingdom, to further the what we believe to be values of, of Christianity, um, while not having to either make concessions or be co-opted one way or the other in a stark dichotomy. Yeah, I, 
Actually, first of all, let me ask this, David. I, I uh, was trying to read your face when Josh, Josh said the, like, not a two-party system. Uh, I'm curious. Are you a... Uh, would, would I, you... I don't... I, I Maybe in concept, I appreciate it, like some sort of parliamentary system, but I just don't see it happening. It seems like it's hard to, to, to fathom. Uh, yeah, I and, think that's fair. Uh, I'm, I, I'm kind of happy with the Republican Party right now, so I'm, I'm sorry to... <laughs> no, and that, so. that's cool. I mean... <laughs> And, but that, to my intro, that is the, to me, that is just the funniest thing in the world, how we as Americans with needing so much choice are somehow like, I'm Republican, so I gotta love guns, I gotta love Jesus, I gotta, I gotta be pro, pro-life, but we can't somehow have, and again, I, we can go on this later on, but like, I don't understand how the, the, the party of pro-life is so pro-gun. You know, like th- those two things don't, don't don't equal out to me. And so, like, I would love to have a candidate who was pro-life, who also was anti-war, but also fiscally conservative, but also, you know, didn't hate homosexuals with s- such a fiery passion. You know, like, how about that? Would love that. Yeah. I think I, I think one of the things we're we're maybe buttoning up against here, like okay, so well, I'll put it this way, you know, David, you you mentioned you're you're pretty pleased with the Republican Party right now. Well, I shouldn't say that. I, it was a little hot yeah. take. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right, that's all right. We'll, we'll edit that out. We'll edit that out. <laughs> but but I I do think you know you know and obviously the three of us are not Republicans, uh, you know, and you know whatever I am, I don't know, but but like. Um, how do I put it? What do you, what do you think? I guess I'd, I'd be curious from a Republican perspective about the like populism versus classical conservatism. Like I, I feel like you're coming from a more classical conservative place, which which I can respect. Yeah. I think that's there's a lot of like intellectual credibility to that. I, I think there's some ethical credibility to that, um, and and so I have respect for that. But it seems like the Republican Party has in many ways been co opted by a sort of populist mentality. What, what does that look like for you, for someone who yeah, I, has I, I, have, I honestly have trouble really defining the populist idea because it, it turns into sort of like love of country, which is a could be close to nationalism, but love of country isn't so bad. Um, or uh, democratic, I, you know, how would you define? Sure. So yeah, that's a fair question. I, I would put it as like, um, hmm, yeah, that's a really fair question. Yeah, I th- I, honestly, with the conversations that we had, I think when you're talking about populism, I do think you you are skewing closer to nationalism. It's it's Correct it's me if not, I'm wrong, but I think when you talk about populism, I think you're thinking closer to nationalism. But it's or, it's nationalism, but it's also connected to, um, you know, let's say populist movements generally tend to be this sort of like. Forget the elites. I mean, in one sense, there's a, mm-hmm. a certain attractiveness to that, right? Yeah. But, uh, that's, how but Trump, yeah. that's how Trump won, right? He, right. That's how he won. And it's like, yeah. so it's like, it's it's saying, let's let's work at the lowest common denominator of mm-hmm. of what people want. And so, so it's it's the sort of rhetoric that we've talked about in terms of like, hey, it's our country first, and I'm gonna I'm gonna proclaim that in such a way. Well, first of all, so it's our country first. Screw everyone else, and then which. To me, it's problematic right there. And then two, it's I'm going to talk about that in a way that's pejorative um, to everyone else. 
for the sake of an in-group and doing us versus them type thing. So to say like, hey, the elites don't care about you. Uh, the people from those S-hole countries don't belong here. Uh, we're number one, forget everyone else. That I get, so I, you know, that's not a great definition, but, but that to me is like the, the sentiment, at least I, right. I hear articulated. In aggregate, we're like number six. I mean, well, a that's another aggregate, aggregate. Yep. Aggregate. You're talking about <laughs> aggregate, right? That's what we're talking about. I want to hear David's response to this. Oh yeah. Sorry. Okay. I'll make fun of your accent later, Tom. <laughs> I think if you, if you use those two, I think I like the first, but not the second. I don't think there's anything wrong with a president or Congress to, to put the interests of the United States first. I think that's what they're supposed to do. I think the same thing with any state governor, you know, the governor of Virginia, governor of North Dakota, they, they put this, they're, they're there in charge to, to run the state. Now it doesn't mean you, you don't have interest you know, internationally and, and want to, you know, <clears throat> be a light to the world, if you will, but I don't have any problem with that. The second, the way that it's talked about, I, I would wholeheartedly agree with you. I think, I mean, if you particularly talk about Trump, I mean, he's brusque, he's name calls. I mean, he calls Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas. I mean, that's just, just you know, nobody likes that. I mean, I guess some do like it, but I, I don't like that. So, but do you think we might be able to assume, because I, I mean, I agree with you. I think like it makes sense that like someone who's president of a country should want their country to succeed and do well. Hmm. Do, do you think um, the sort of uh, pejorative language that's often used by Trump towards other countries no, it's all, is yeah, no, problematic? Right. Like, and, like as whole countries, you know? That's, that's, yeah, that's, right, that's, exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. Is that not also then problematic for us as Christians? So like, I assume mm -hmm. Biden wants what's best for USA. Like, again, I don't think he's a perfect guy, okay? But I assume he wants what's best for our country, but he's not gonna dunk on a bunch of other countries to do that. And, and so that to me seems like, in terms of my ethics, I feel better about that than I do someone who's gonna dunk on a bunch of other people. Yeah, but conservatives see Biden at the UN wearing a mask when he's all by himself because he's concerned about optics and then he doesn't have a flag. He's the only leader in the entire world that didn't have a flag behind him. So he's, he, we think he goes a little far the other way. He, he wants to, you know, <clears throat> the idea that United States, maybe it's this idea, but there's a prevalent idea that, it's, that Josh mentioned that we're sort of rooted in, a dysfunctionalism and hatred and racism and white supremacy and to the core the country is just built on a horrid foundation and we have a lot to apologize for and we really need to sort of make it up to the world um starting now i i don't i just don't subscribe to that you don't buy that narrative yeah mm -hmm. okay well i think that takes us into the to the next segment here where we want to talk about is trump a racist I think we can talk about some of these underpinnings things too. I think Josh, you're gonna maybe lead 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 our side of things on this a little bit, um, but then we'll we'll dump we'll we'll jump into that and then go from there. Great. See you on the other side of the break, friends. folks we're going to talk a little bit about uh well we want to dive into this concept of is trump a racist i think that expands out further to um 
it, I, I think that unfairly a lot of times then gets branded to the entire Republican Party or anybody who is Republican. Um, I, I do know that the, the rhetoric that we see in the media online in conversations is that the things that he does say lead you to believe and we can parse out some of the stuff that he that he says that well that's not what he really meant or this is what it was in context but when you take it in totality i think so at least from my perspective i think you can start building a, a pretty strong case that um th th that he is mildly racist at best or at, at best and a lot racist at worst um that some of the policies or or some of the some of the things that have happened, but I think this goes to an even uh, a bigger case. And I think Josh is going to jump in here too with David, something that you said at, at the end of our, our last segment of, of this idea that our, our country was built on a lot of, a lot of things that really uh, uh, created problems for some people, uh, set other people up, namely white people for, for a much better go of things. And so uh, let's dive into that. Um, I, I guess, David, why don't you start? Why don't you start us off with, with some of your thoughts there on the country's foundation? Yeah, let's or, uh, uh, yeah. let's let's start there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm very articulate in this one, except that um, <clears throat> I mean, obviously, there's some horrid things that have happened in our past. There's a lot of good that has happened too, and the 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 founding documents, uh, all men are created equal. That was a stunning proclamation at the time, and that the the people will be governed by the people for the people. I mean. And I think the oh. three branches of government. I think it's a, it's a, it's a terrific sound. And and there are there are unfortunate uh, compromises that needed to take place with some 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 uh, racist slaveholding groups. But um, but in the end, it was target. It was traject The trajectory was to to root that out. And the Republicans, by the way, were very um, instrumental in the thirteenth, fourteenth, and fifteenth Amendment. So don't forget that. So just very very quickly. I, I, and I don't know the answer to this. It was it in the Constitution or in the amendments, or or where was it that that black people were were counted as three fifths? That was the Dred Scott case. No, was that what was the? Well, that was in the three fifths <laughs> compromise. They yeah. weren't even counted as anything in the founding yeah. documents. Oh. No, they were right. no. So, they, so this they idea were that all these are created equal unless you're black. No, they were counted as as property. Um, and in the founding documents, indigenous people were. Uh, were considered pagan and their land basically just up for, um, uh, I mean, what I is that in the constitution? Safe. Yeah. Well, and in, and more importantly in the naturalization act as Western frontiers okay, yeah. began to happen, um, the definition well, of those who were able to become land owning, uh, was male, white and of good moral character. So that was actually the first time that we see in our in our documentation as a country outside of the designation of of black people as three fifths of a human being um, and relegated to property that we see then the term white being uh, directly tied to the land. Uh, but even before that, you can go back to the Doctrine of Discovery uh, back in the late 1400s that essentially was a declaration from the Pope at the time uh, that gave full license and permission to Catholic explorers, um, you know, largely we're talking Spanish, Portuguese, uh, but then eventually co-opted by the Dutch and British as well, where um, anyone who either refused to convert to Christianity uh, or uh, opposed Christianity um, you were able to rightfully under the will of God, and I say that in air quotations um, since you can't see me, um, you could take their land 
uh, and forcibly convert them. And if they didn't, then you could kill them. So th there was a lot of documentation early on um, uh, that that tied the doctrine of discovery to um, uh, the Constitution itself and then to the Naturalization Act. And I believe it was 1790 um, where we see, where we first see the term white in conjunction with uh, male and good moral character um, as being direct beneficiaries and uh, entitled in the proper sense to um, to land and land ownership here in the United States. Yeah, I was look, I was talking about the uh, the founding documents, the Constitution, Bill of Rights. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to look it up there. The the the, the exact reference, but um, the it, it does speak to um, indigenous populations as savages mm -hmm. and therefore, you know, that's yeah, awful, right? basically yeah. not able to be land owners. Um, even when you look at the early, um, like when you're talking about the Virginia colony and some of the early, um, uh, colonial payments to those indentured servants who want, and, and let's just remember they were actually, um, you know, prisoners that were given the option of like, either go to jail in England or become indentured servants in American colonies. And, uh, English prison sucked by the way, in case you didn't realize that. So, uh, even becoming an indentured servant, uh, in the, in the early U S colonies was a step up. And yet upon completion of their indentured servitude, they were, they were given a musket, um, and they were given, um, ammunition basically. And so the explicit and implicit directive was then to say, okay, now you have permission to essentially go forcibly displace those who are on this land currently by use of the musket, which was a superior um, technological weapon, right, to a bow and arrow, to a spear, to a club, and those types of things. And so by and large, the one thing that I think we have to keep in mind is that we tend to hide or tend to um, uh, shelter ourselves um, with the fact that there, there, there was some explicit language, but there wasn't always explicit language. And yet at the same time, we had certain provisions that most, most definitely provided either an advantage technologically, um, or an imperative that was, that was very veiled, um, you know, um, and, and, and implicitly kind so of encouraged. Can I like say this? I, I think I don't want to just go down too much of a rabbit hole be here because I mean, it's helpful history, but, but I think one of the things that that we run into in this conversation is you have kind of let's say like the woke left is like listen america is bad and they're just sort of genocidal maniacs and everything they've done is terrible boo 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 and then kind of the the stereotype of the right is like america's never done anything wrong we're just perfect and city on a hill city on a hill right exactly right. and David may have heard me critique that in a sermon. Uh, and, and so at any rate, so, so like there, there's those sort of like extreme perspectives. I, I think we'd want to avoid those. Like I, I think David mentioned earlier, America has done good things. I, I would hope we'd all agree. America has done good things. And America has some really painful problems in its past that it needs to acknowledge. How we acknowledge those, I think is really actually where the, the conversation comes into is that it's like, I, it's pretty hard, anyone who's honest, knows that America is not perfect and has done bad things and that there's there's problems. Um, but how we acknowledge those, how we deal with those is what a lot of our current conversation is. And it, and it seems like then to be charitable on the left is to say, hey, uh, we really haven't dealt with these things properly and we need to rectify them appropriately. Um, and then on the right is to say, you're, you're maybe blowing that out of proportion 
uh, we've come a long way. Let's look at MLK. He appealed to the Constitution for the Civil Rights Act, right? Um, and so, so that to me is where the, the rub is, is to say, um, you know, you can go too far on either end of this here, but to say there are problems in America's past. How do we go about rectifying that? And then to turn us towards Trump, did his language and is his position, did that help actually rectify things in any way, shape or form as we think about America's mixed history that I think we would all admit to? Well, and not only history, I mean, you said a lot of the word past and history, but I would argue as a resident of Minneapolis, Minnesota, that, <laughs> um, that we, and we've heard it on, I mean, I shouldn't be the one talking here, but I mean, Josh has said it multiple, multiple times on the show. We are still in it. There are, there are multiple compounding problems in our society right now. And if we can't admit that, that, that people of color have not had and continue to not have an easy go of things compared to white people, then I think that's really putting blinders on our ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's so to, to accommodate your request, Gabe, we won't go to yeah. either extreme. Right. Yeah. So to me, the fundamental question is how willing are we to be genuine and integral in our examination of our own history, where we are now and where we would like to be in the future. And by integral, I mean, filled, filled with integrity. Uh, because in so many other ways, and I think this actually fits really well in our earlier conversation at the very beginning, uh, which will now be in episode one, and this is probably going to be in episode two, uh, but I haven't edited it yet, so we're just winging it right now, which is like, you know, we we can't claim to ever really have a truly unbiased and, and purely objective reality uh, in terms of our, our information presentation and as consumers of that, like as a general public of our of our information digestion. Right. Uh, but what what it does force us and what we're confronted with is to say, how willing are we to reckon with reality? OK, and I'm not talking the spins of the left or the right, but. In so many ways, we 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 loved objective data, uh, we love uh, fact, right, and we want to rely on those things. And yet, I think in some areas, particularly with our racialized past, we don't want to be confronted by that. We don't want to come to grips with it. Um, and so, for me, the path forward, uh, both where we're at now and where we move uh, in the future, is to say we need to we we, we need to assess our willingness to sit with our sins. Um, and the reason I say it in that way is because this is how we talk about it in the church. And this is how, uh, at least for Gabe and I, discuss this as pastors, right? We can't truly repent to God unless we're willing to sit with our sins and to say, yeah, this is reality and it sucks. And we're ashamed of it sometimes. Sometimes we're even proud of it, but it is what it is. And we need to to be forgiven of it. And we need to be able to, um, you know, in, in our sanctified discipleship, we need to be able to to make repairs and to heal what was broken or to forgive what was offended and, and those types of things, right? And I think for, uh, for, for Christians in America, this is probably the most difficult task is to extrapolate the very fundamentals of our faith that we say these are necessary. These are absolutes. These are healthy practices of our relationship with God and then interpret them and apply them to our relationship with our neighbors, 
right? And to me, that's where we haven't really gotten to the point of, of real change or real progress or even real honesty in some ways with the the, the past and, and our history um, as, as a country, you know? And like, obviously that's nuanced, that's textured. And when it comes to conversations around reparations or conversations around what does it mean to heal or to move forward, there, there's certainly gonna be myriad opinions about that. However, I would say that the starting point is a self-examination of our willingness to deal honestly and with integrity with what has happened factually, statistically, um, as well as uh, in terms of like socializing narratives and stereotypes, right? And until we get to that point, we really can't address uh, the the legacy of, of, of racism um, without, to your point, Gabe, skewing either extreme left, extreme right, you know, so then let, I guess I'd be curious, David, do you, it, we've been talking a lot. Do you have thoughts as, as we've been prattling on here? I'm a couple of cliches. They don't really help, but it, we have come a long way. I, and I, I would I say that lightly, but I also say it meaningfully. It's quite a different world than, than before. And I know Josh in a previous episode, you said it has just gone under and it's taken in different forms. So yeah, I do listen. <clears throat> but, um, <laughs> um, uh, sorry, I forgot my other point, but, um, uh, well, yeah. let me let me ask well, you a point of question on that. Do, do you think Trump has helped the racial conversation in the United States? Uh, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. I mean, I don't know what it can. I mean, we could talk about what verbally he has said. I don't think I don't think it's as, well, as let's, stark let's, as what you said. But the things that he's done, he's done tremendous things. There's a lot of a lot of people that have uh, give are very vocal about their support for him. See, yeah. and, and so I want to get to the comments, and I, I want to end with that because we're going to end on a semi. Not well, serious, non-serious, no, but whatever. Um, but like I, I hear you say some of the things that you talk about, but then some of the things that resulted from Trump's presidency and his subsequent loss, we immediately have, you know, these voting laws in Georgia and Texas is starting to plan some things <laughs> that I, I don't understand. I, I don't understand how you could paint it any other way than, you know. When I see during the election that Texas cut off drive-in voting at five o'clock because you know quitting time, um, when you shut, when you hear about precincts and, and and voting facilities being shut down in largely black communities um, by Republican mayors and Republican governors, when you hear about um, you, you know limiting bus lines and subway lines on a random Tuesday in November, that's never happened before. But on this voting day the bus lines in largely black communities are all of a sudden shut down. Like, and it was at the behest of Republicans and, and things like that. And now these new voting laws, like, I don't see how that, how that's helping people. That, that seems like limiting to me. Sounds like it. I don't know the details of that, to be honest. Um, I think the Georgia voting law requiring an ID, I think the idea that people of color can't get an ID is, you could argue that's a racist idea as well. Right. I mean, people have ID, people can get on the internet. So <clears throat> um, those other those other mechanisms, I think, yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I don't know the details behind those, but obviously, uh, there's no secret that uh, the Republican Party would benefit if they could, you know, the, the black vote goes what 92 percent toward Democrats. So, yep. Um, yep. I think conversely, I mean, some of the other laws were uh, that were that were made in states that uh, instead of going through the legislature like they're supposed to. Uh, to uh, to mail out ballots, not 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 um, absentee ballots, just to mail them out. Um, we could argue that that's also uh, uh, would skew toward a Democrat. So I mean, I think maybe maybe, maybe you could 
maybe oh sorry but maybe maybe this is a voter reform was is, is a good idea I, I'm, I'm with you there yeah no I- interestingly enough and i only follow this because i'm a native californian and my parents and my little sister still live there but uh interestingly enough the 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 mailed ballot is actually a um, right leaning effort to recall a Democratic governor in Gavin Newsom, right? So like it's just being used, yeah, for it, right? right yeah. yeah, you know, and I think that just speaks to like the inconsistencies are are always allowed when it serves a particular purpose, right? right? right yeah. And so which is po- which is politics? I mean, well, yeah, I mean, which is which politics. is the nature of politics? Yet at the same time, the, it's also the the most glaring issue in any political system, whether here mm-hmm. and in the states or or anywhere else right because it is ultimately self-serving and so for me that's why it is just such a, a dangerous conversation um and, and i mean this in a very general sense right a very dangerous conversation to conflagrate christian faith and discipleship with a political system because it's inevitably going to contradict it it's inevitably going to be going to become exploitative and self-serving, right? And and yeah. become an, an idol and a golden calf to some degree. And yeah. so I think for us and for me personally, the challenge is we need to be able to acknowledge these things with transparency and honesty. And we have to be able to figure out as the church, uh, and we historically have not ever done a great job of this, but you know, who knows? The future! Um, <laughs> figure out how we can navigate political systems moving forward that is faithful to the biblical witness and to who we are called to be um while also being good citizens okay i I don't know is that is that a cop-out did i just contradict my entire life philosophy and cop out on this i think i was more concerned with your mangling of and i'm not even sure but you mangled it no matter what conflagrate 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 that's a word. I'm pretty sure it's a word. Isn't it a word? No, it is. I usually only use it with like conflagration, but whatever. Who cares? Um, let's move. Let's let's end this. We've been kind of dancing around this the whole time. Um, is the things that Trump say racist? Is Biden racist? Um, David, you have quotes. I have quotes. Let's oh, what? Let's we have rate to do this? Let's rate them. Let's rate them yeah. on a one scale, one to five. Yeah. Josh. Josh and Gabe, you are you're going to be the the judges here. Oh, okay. gosh. So wait, we'll wait. G- give me the metrics. This is going to be so fast, everybody, because I want to go to bed. That's fine. Yeah, give go. me the metrics. So, so, so one fast. is not racist at all. Five is extremely racist. Is that is that how we're doing this? Yes. Yeah. Oh, gosh. all right. Okay, go. Grumpy Gabe's showing up. So let's go. <laughs> David, first. do you do you want to start? One. Yeah. This is Biden talking about Obama. I mean. You got the first mainstream African-American who is articulate and bright and clean and nice looking guy. I mean, that's a storybook, man. Three. Wait, one is racist or five is racist? No, one is, is not racist. racist at all. Five is super racist. Oh, Obama, put... Obama is the first African-American that's clean. Uh, Yeah, five. Wait, I thought I... are you doing this? I'm doing, we we're both doing, doing, doing it. You and I are both in it. We are the judges. Oh, so okay. if you read a Biden quote, you said three, I said five. Tom. Okay. All right. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. Five. Four. Uh, okay. Uh, in Delaware, the largest growth of population is Indian Americans moving from India. I mean, you can't go to a 7-Eleven or Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. I'm not Indian accent. I'm not joking. 
three, four, ah, five. I, that's bad. In talking about Minneapolis protesters, these thugs. Five, four. In 1994 crime bill discussion, <clears throat> we talked about society created these thugs. It does not mean because we created them that we somehow forgive them or do not take them out of society to protect my family and to protect your family from them. Five. Three. Uh, let's see here. Which one to go to? <laughs> Which one to go to? You know, list. <laughs> like, I've got 15. Um, and I and I and I would like to say I only I only put out quotes that were absolutely confirmed. None of the like when he talked yeah. about the the asshole countries that that was happening in office. Um, you wouldn't believe how bad these people are. These aren't people. These are animals. Four. Who's he referring to? Yeah, who's he referring to? That actually, I MS thirteen. Dang it, it's the one quote I did not. He's referring uh, to MS MS13 uh, coming over and uh, yeah. Oh, okay. I'll do. Hey, actually, fun, fun, fun fact uh, and interjection. There's this great book I just picked up called, I think it's called The Gangs. And it was a comprehensive historical analysis of gangs in, uh, in the Chicagoland area back in the 30s. Um, and ironically, the vast majority of the gangs were actually of, of European ethnicities, like Irish, Italian, Polish, et cetera, right? Um, and the, this guy, he didn't have a particular impetus for doing this. I know you're loving this right now, Gabe. I'm going to kill you, man. Oh, I know you're going to kill me. But what's fascinating, uh, is that when you look at the history of gangs, like it was actually like widely accepted and not criminalized to the same extent, uh, back when the majority of gangs were white. But then once the shift occurred in which the majority of gang activity became, um, you know, uh, non-white, then, all of a sudden there was a shift in the criminality or, or the aggressive um, prosecution of, of gang activity. It's really fascinating. Did, did this happen before or after Leonardo DiCaprio and gang? hundred percent, man. The, the, was it four rabbits, five rabbits? Uh, all right. Ten we each got two. Left. Hey, I got my final one, my final one. Uh, so oh, I've got two. You got to have two more. Oh, I got two more. Okay. Yeah, sure. No problem. Let's do 10 yeah. more. Gabe is so excited for this game. I'm going to leave. I will leave after these two. <laughs> okay, fine. Two more, two more, two more. Not, 612 not everybody, not everybody. Not everybody in the community is talking about, you know, the, getting the vaccines. Not everybody in the community, in the Hispanic and African-American community, particularly in rural areas that are distant and in and or inner city districts, know how to use, know how to get online. One. Yeah, two. All right. Uh, derogatively referring to Senator Warren on multiple, multiple, multiple occasions as Pocahontas. Five. Yeah, I'm going to say a five on that. That's funny. Um, uh, I don't like it, but uh, I wouldn't say it's racist because she claimed to be Native American. <clears throat> and she wasn't. She used it just to get on the application. Okay, lauded. Okay, I'm going to go to, I'm going to put a little commentary after this too. So lauded Senator Byrd who passed away, who, who Senator Byrd was a um, KKK leader. And if you do a fact check on it, they say, no, this is not true because he wasn't a grand wizard. He was just, <laughs> he was just a, a significant leader. So they put, they say false, <laughs> right? crazy stuff. Okay, 
But ladies and gentlemen, of course, it's more than just a name we're not going to forget. It's his courage. He died like he lived. He died like he, like he lived his life. He never stopped fighting. He served the people he loved. He served the people who were in his blood. Five. I mean, out of context. It's out of context. But he's referring to a guy he's referring to a who's in the KKK. Yep. And especially the language of blood, that's what throws me, man. That's a five. I that's mean, a five. That that one's that one's super muddy. Now, may I may I just offer commentary? Because if you then fill it out, he's actually talking about, I think he's talking about West Virginia. So the people in his blood. Maybe you didn't sorry, you didn't know that. And Bird, who was horrid, did a lot of work in the Senate. Uh, and and always turned against his the, his his work right. So I think to, I bring it up as an example. Like uh, we hang people. Sorry, maybe the wrong word. We yeah, we yeah, uh, give <laughs> we we uh, destroy people for things that they said uh, a long time ago, and that doesn't and and it should maybe maybe it should be a little more. I don't know. Well, I, so I'm I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought brought that up for my last one here. Um, so side note. Senator Byrd, uh, when I was interning in the U.S. Senate, I, I got the chance to sit wow, and watch Senator Byrd. Just keep yeah. them coming, Tom. Keep them coming. Um, uh, this was right before I actually got offered a job in, in a senator's office, so i just throw that out there. Um, you're the worst. Can you just hurry up and get to the point We're all here? very proud of what you did 20 years yeah, ago. Thank, yeah, great, Tom. Tom. When you had hair. Yeah. When I when I got to listen to Senator Byrd on, on the floor of the Senate, that dude, and I can only use this term, was batshit crazy. I mean, <laughs> like he could he just rambled for an hour and there was no coherent sentences in that whole thing. He was about 107 when I heard him, but I'm just saying. Um, okay, so context to to I like I, I hear that with, with, with Biden. He said it at a, a, a you said eulogy or, or eulogy, yeah, a formal eulogy with President uh, President Obama was there as well. Um, right. So my last one is there are very fine people on both sides. After and then refusing to denounce white supremacists. Yeah, not true. What? It ain't true. What? Did you say did that? No, no. I'll tell you what he said in that. He said. You had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists because they should be condemned totally. But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists, okay? And the press had treated them absolutely unfairly. And da, 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 da. That's in his uh, interaction with reporters on, on that event. Yeah. Did you know that? That he didn't say there are very fine people on both sides? He was referring to other people who were protesting the taking down of the statue. Whether it was true or not, whether what that this there, there were people, that's what he was talking about. And he said okay. very specifically, not yeah. neo Nazis. Yeah. Okay, I so didn't know he's that. cool with pro he's cool with protesting on one side, but not on the other. And then very specifically not denouncing neo Nazism <clears throat> other than neo Nazis and white nationalists, okay. The press no, yeah, he 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 denounced them. But when, give that but, one when four. Do, but when asked to do it later, you know, in the following days, he didn't. Reporter, do you think what you call the alt-left is the same as neo-Nazis? 
Trump. Those people, all of those people, excuse me, I've, con I've condemned neo-Nazis. I've condemned many different groups, but not all those people were neo-Nazis, believe me. Not all those people were white supremacists by any stretch. He believed, whether he's right or not, he believed there were other people there protesting the taking down of the statue who were not neo-Nazis and not white supremacists. I still give it a four. <laughs> I do. I, I do. I mean, I, because I, I have heard the extended quote, and I think he was misrepresented. And I would have just condemned everyone there. And I, I think okay. to justify anyone, like, I, there, there's certain figures in history I'm fine with us not celebrating. So to be okay with people wanting to celebrate racist figures, I'm giving it a four. It was, it was illegal tearing down of one, not celebrating the figure. Necessarily. I suppose that's a fair okay. point. That's okay. a fair but, point. No, okay. that's a fair, that's a fair distinction. They, they were celebrating the, 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 the yet, oh, okay. yet, okay. yet, this is, um, never mind. We're done. I'm not going to get into this, but okay. to, to me, the illegal tearing down, right? Like that'd be like, oh, hey, cool. Here's a symbol of genocide or here's a symbol of, a, of an atrocity, but we're going to shelter it under a, a legal guideline so we can't take down this monument right like to me that is actually a limitation on the people's right to to actually confront historical wrongs by, uh, by by saying it's it's criminalized you know what i mean um to a certain degree i mean so, you know what i'm saying like it, when we look at our history of monument monumentalization uh in the sense of like creating monuments um we have a really bad we, we we don't have a good legacy of that compared to when you look at like countries like Rwanda, countries like uh, South Africa, countries like Germany. Um, we we are okay with monuments that would appear to memorialize in a positive sense some of the darker parts of our history instead of saying, let's memorialize them in the darkness of their of their ways and what happened instead of acknowledging or, or in contrast to acknowledging the actual atrocities that occurred. So like, to me, if I get like, we're in Tennessee, uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest, the dude was awful. Andrew Jackson, terrible. So to say it's illegal to pull down a statue of, of, of Andrew Jackson or Nathan Bedford Forrest is a cheap way of memorializing uh, a dark part of our history that actually should be torn down and dis and disavowed um, in a lot of ways. So rant, over all right well 612-208-6258 two hours two full episodes with our good friend david baker who is not as much as i wish it to be david the judge on forged in fire who also has a curly mustache like myself and <laughs> likes to make knives if you are not familiar with forged in fire it's a class it's, it's a favorite of mine um and i was really hoping that i was going to meet a celebrity in my life but you know what you came a close second david and you are now right there with the David Baker I, from Fortune Fire in my mind and my heart. I want to harken back. We've, we've kind of mentioned a couple times the 70 episodes that we've done. I want to harken back to our very first episode that we have where we talked about silencing, um, been putting on mute those that we disagree with um, and, and kind of ending civil discourse. And that is one of the things I've most appreciated about tonight uh, is, is having civil discourse without uh, uh I, I don't. I guess I don't have an uncontrollable urge to strangle you, David. So I mean, like, it's <laughs> great, big win. Um, I, I assume you are still going to frequent Gabe's church. Um, Absolutely, Gabe. I want to just put a plug in for Gabe. Gabe is awesome. He's an office often. I, I know. I just want, hold on a second. I got the I got oh, the stop. common cup thing here because it's a common cup. 
all political persuasions, different viewpoints, we unite under one, one Christ, one Lord, one baptism. And Amen. that's why I love my brother, because that's what he preaches. And we may disagree about things, but we, we don't disagree about the king. And, and love your brother. Thank you. Amen. Hey, love you too. Great, great ending. I, I love that. Uh, let, let's wrap up. Have a good night, everybody. Uh, next time. 612-208-6258. We know Dej is going to have a flurry of text message responses, but we'd like to hear from you, the rest of our listeners. We appreciate you guys, and we welcome you into civil discourse. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah.